I've cried three times over this team since it, since it came up. And I'm a year older than this team. We were in the womb at the same time. And you know what? The first time was when we lost the Cup in 2007. The second time was when we lost Eric Carlson. And you know what? Today was the third time. We're confident in our hockey group's ability. My hockey abilities as a GM to make good trades for the rebuild and for our fans to see something glorious in the next few years. We know this rebuild would be difficult. Every rebuild has challenges, but we want to look at the big picture in our very bright future. Are you an Ottawa Senators fan? If so, have you given up on them yet? Or are you still with them despite everything that's happened to them over the past 18 months? Regardless of what your answers are to those three questions, I really think you need to hear this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of the Lace em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. This is a dissection of the worst week in Ottawa Senators history through the eyes of a lifelong Sens fan. In this special edition, you will hear audio from familiar faces within the Sens organization. And you will also hear audio from several Sens fans that still care about their beloved franchise, but are constantly frustrated with how this team is being run. So sit back and grab a big glass of cold water because it's time to revisit the worst week in Sens history, what's happened in the weeks that followed it, and how it could change this team's future forever. Now, before we go any further, we might talk about the Sens a lot on the podcast, but we do not go as in-depth as the folks over at TSN 1200. They are the local sports station in Ottawa, and they broadcast every single Sens game, and they have done so for many, many years. A lot of their on-air shows during the day are centralized to the Sens when hockey season's in full swing. So if you want a day-by-day analysis about this team, whether it's on the ice or off the ice, Be sure to give them a follow on Twitter at TSN1200. You can listen live anytime at tsn1200.ca as well. And for the past 18 months, it's safe to say they've had a lot of Sens news to cover. So let's start things off with the Matt Duchesne trade. Now that happened in November of 2017, and it saw Kyle Turris pack all of his belongings and catch a flight to Nashville, Tennessee. Now, Kyle Turris had been with the Sens for quite a few years, He was a fan favorite. He was a part of the Capital City Condors, which if you're in the Ottawa area, you know how important the Capital City Condors are to the Sens community. Kyle Turris was a pending free agent at the end of the year, and he instantly signed an extension with the Preds after the trade call was completed. He claims that one month after the trade that he wanted to stay with the Sens And that owner Eugene Melnick was the guy who helped pave his way out of town. General Manager Pierre Dorian replied that all hockey ops decisions run through him and not Eugene Melnick. And I say this because it's important as we move along to the story. As part of the three-way deal with Colorado and Nashville, the Senators traded a former first-rounder in Shane Bowers and a first-round pick in either 2018 or 2019 to Colorado. They moved it to 2019, which could end up being the first overall pick named Jack Hughes, and decided to draft Brady Kachuk fourth overall in 2018. Yes, the price tag was big, but the Sens were getting Matt Duchesne. 
They were still a team that was ready to win. They still had Mike Hoffman. They still had Eric Carlson. They had a few bumps in the road, but the feeling was this team was only going to get better by plugging in Matt Duchesne. Of course, that didn't happen. Things quickly went off the rails, and we got to witness the most talented bottom five team that the NHL has seen in years. Pieces like Derek Broussard and Dion Phaneuf were sacrificed as a result of said misery, but at the end of the year, the Sens roster was still pretty decent. Of course, it got worse. Then we got word of alleged cyberbullying from Mike Hoffman's significant other towards Eric Carlson's significant other, so the no-brainer consensus among the fan base was, okay, Eric Carlson's heading into a big season, he's going to become a free agent at the end of the year, we need to deal Mike Hoffman, get whatever we can for him, and convince Eric Carlson to stay. So the Sens, during the summer, traded Mike Hoffman and focused their efforts on Eric Carlson. As you might have guessed, it got worse, because talks with Eric Carlson grew silent after July 1st, and he eventually gets dealt to the San Jose Sharks at the start of training camp. This, in my opinion, was bigger than Daniel Alfredson leaving for Detroit, because Eric Carlson had just been traded to a cup contender in the prime of his career. And while the return was decent, Ottawa traded Eric Frickin' Carlson. Now, in hindsight, that decision was a little bit of foreshadowing from a few days prior. Because before that trade was made official, Sens owner Eugene Melnick had a chat with defenseman Mark Borowiecki about a look ahead into this season and in the seasons to follow. Here's my reaction with Brian Lilly, who worked with TSN 1200's brother station 580 CFRA at the time. Let's roll that tape. Uh, so in that conversation, he uh, Eugene Melnick addressed some key points about the direction of this team moving forward. One of these points, how many new guys are the Sens going to have this year? This coming year, we're going to have 10 out of the 22 players are going to be new, meaning they're either rookies or they've played maybe under 10 games last year. Yeah. And then the following year, it's going to go up to about 15 of the 22, yeah. maybe 16. Now, those are oddly specific numbers, especially for the season after this year where he says 15 or 16. My question is, where is Eugene Melnick getting those numbers from? Is he getting them through Guy Boucher and Pierre Dorian? Or is that coming straight from See, Mr. Melnick? I've been hearing you hockey guys all day. I've been hearing you all day since this broke. Oh, this shows Melnick is the only one running the show. He could be getting them from Dorian. And he's just saying, I'll be the front guy. Now, he did not confirm where he got the numbers from. Just just quickly, have you ever heard anything from a sports owner before a big event before? Like, for instance, in December of 2017, where Melnick sounded off on the empty seats... Or in this interview where he says this team is not just made up of one guy. It's not about individuals anymore because you're not going to win. One player, two players, three players in a dressing room are not going to do it. So at this point, according to a report, this team had sold roughly 4,000 season tickets. I'm not a marketing guru, but that doesn't sound too good at all. Brian Lilly goes on to explain why. Roll tape. I'd have to ask Ian Mendez. Ian Mendez, is, on those things, he's my numbers mm -hmm. guru. He he knows this inside and out. And, of course, he covered the Sens on TV for years. He's covered them on radio for years. He's been close to that club for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And 
he was going through the numbers with me last year as we were talking about the fact that they can't, they were having trouble selling out. He, he came to the defense of the team and said, you've got to look. They've got a smaller season ticket base, which means that every game they start, they have to sell more tickets than everybody else. And although they weren't selling out, they've got a bigger arena than most places have. So while they were being mocked for not being able to sell out in the playoffs, they had been selling more tickets than other teams that were selling out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I get that argument. But he always kept pointing out that they've got a lower season ticket base. And I thought he said it was around eight to 10,000. And so if it's down at four right now. That's not good. And I've heard from people that were season ticket holders that have either dropped it or scaled back. I'm talking uh, small business owners that use them as marketing tools, as rewards for staff, as well for their own enjoyment as well. Anybody I know that buys a full or half season package ends up deciding that um, well, they're going to go to a certain number of games, but it's hard to go to all the games. And then for the other games, they're going to be, hey, Stephen, you did, a good, you did a really good job last week. Go watch the Sens. And you get a pair of tickets and you're happy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a pay raise, but you're happy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a nice or, little pat on the back, right? Or you, you know, you've been doing business with somebody for a while. You're rewarding them. That's what folks are doing. And if those guys are dropping out, um, you know, Melnick is uh, not in a good spot. In other words, if it went down to 4,000 and those numbers that Brian said do in fact hold up, that is not a good sign right there. And while I do agree with you, Jay Melnick, there is no I in the word team, you need star players. You need star players to put bums in seats. You need all-star players to drive up merchandise sales, especially during a time where your team is not expected to do very well. And their struggles with selling out the Canadian Tire Center should be an indication that attendance will become a bigger issue if more star players leave. The good news is that before the worst week in Sense history, a lot of progress was being made. Brady Kachuk was making a good first impression. Thomas Shabbat became an all-star talent. Colin White was a top 10 rookie scorer in the NHL this year. And their special teams were improving. That penalty kill which was a topic of discussion in that leaked Uber ride video, it was improving. The power play, which was one of the worst in the league last year, currently near the top 15. And despite their young offense and defense, they were still finding ways to hang around and make games close. Despite off-ice issues that had previously plagued them, TSN 1200 talk show host Sean Simpson called the 2018-2019 Ottawa Senators Quote, the happiest last place team I've ever seen. But then following a wild 8-7 loss to Chicago, the changes came in waves. Dezingle, Duchesne, Stone, all scratched in a loss to New Jersey on a Thursday night. The next day, the Sens trade Duchesne to Columbus. They lost 3-0 to Columbus that same day. Dezingle's fate was sealed with the trade to Columbus the day after that, which leaves Mark Stone as the final key piece left. Now, would he stay on board was the bigger question, a question that GM Pierre Dorian addressed. Young players need core veterans around them. We feel we have quality veterans in CeCe, Smith, Pajot, Borowicki, Ryan, and Anderson. We're still working on convincing a few others to stay. 
I have, however, we have to be prepared for every scenario. Now, I still believed the Sunday before the trade deadline that their primary objective was to keep Mark Stone in the fold. I had faith that both sides could get it done. And if they failed to do so, Pierre Dorian had to do whatever he could to get the best return possible for Mark Stone. The Senators saved $7.15 million in cap space by trading Duchesne and Dezingle, and both players' salaries, in all honesty, would have gone up after the season was over. Duchesne makes $6 million this year, Dezingle under $2 million in the bank this year. Both guys are playing top six roles on this team. Both got at least 20 goals. Both were going to get pay raises. Ottawa has four, maybe five first-round picks, six, maybe seven second-round picks, and four third-round picks over the next three years. That's why I figured it was a possibility to keep Mark Stone, the Senator's heart and soul. Here's what Mark Stone brings that the average NHLer does not. Mark Stone is a point-per-game player when he's on the ice. He's also one of the best two-way players on this team and in the NHL. One key stat proves that. Takeaways. That's when you're taking the puck away from the other team. That's taking away a potential offensive chance from the other side and creating chances for your team. Stone is one of the leaders in takeaways in the league this season, and he's done that multiple times in his career already. When this team is in a position to win with all the young talent they have down the road, Mark Stone is the perfect leader. Brady Kachuk's dad, Keith Kachuk, was on the TSN 1200 pregame show the day before the trade deadline. And he was talking about Mark Stone's importance to this hockey club and what he's done for his son, Brady. Now, this team is going to get very young, very quickly, and they may not be able to handle the ebbs and flows of a winning streak and a losing streak. And Mark Stone has been through the good, the bad, and the downright ugly during his time with the Ottawa Senators. He celebrates a goal this season with the same amount of passion that he did in April of 2015 after scoring a big overtime winner versus the Penguins. That level of passion, experience, and dedication to do the little things right each and every single game is invaluable. You can get a talented player like Alexis Lafreniere if they win the draft lottery next year because the Sens will probably be just as bad next year. Which is why the loss of Duchesne hurts, but it's not the end of the world for a Sens fan. But if guys like Mark Stone go out the door, that hurts your team hard. Because a guy like Mark Stone simply does not grow on trees. And guess what happened? Mark Stone left the Ottawa Senators and now plays for the Vegas Golden Knights. My heart was here. Uh, you know, I set roots here. Uh, like I said, I loved playing for the Ottawa Senators, um, but I didn't take this. I didn't take this decision for granted. Uh, I took everything into consideration and uh, um, ultimately uh, came to this decision. As you can probably tell by the sound of his voice, this didn't sound like an easy decision for Mark Stone to make. So why did he leave? Why did he decide to leave Ottawa and join Vegas, a team that apparently was at the top of his list if he wanted to make this difficult decision? He says it all came down to one thing, commitment to winning. The atmosphere, the city, uh the lineup that they put on the ice every night and just the ownership's uh, commitment uh, to winning. Um, 
I can't wait, and I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of it. Which, as we know, isn't normally expected with the rebuilding team for a few years. Naturally, a member of the media asked Sens GM Pierre Dorian what his reaction was to Stone's comments. All the players knew it was a rebuild here. All the players were offered a contract to be here. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with ownership. Hockey operations makes all the decisions here. Uh, an example of that today is I think I phoned Eugene after the trade was done. I didn't talk to him all day until it was done. I, I think the best way to say it is that we're trying to build a culture here. We're trying to build a team here, and we want the players that want to stay here, and we're hopeful to attract some players as we move through this rebuild. He also went one-on-one with Ian Mendez and Sean Simpson on TSN 1200 just hours after Mark Stone was traded to Vegas. I'm going to play a few clips from that, and the first one had to do with the contract talks with Matt Duchesne and the acquisition of Eric Brandstrom from the Golden Knights. Two Fridays ago in Winnipeg, when the Chicago Wolves played the Manitoba Moose, I was with assistant GM Peter McTavish and our head pro scout Jim Clark. And for what a 19-year-old did that game, And what he's done all year in the American League, I know our fans might look at the short term, but trust me, long term, this guy's a star. Matt wanted to be part of a contender. And if with us was possibly going to test free agency, as an organization, we had to get good assets for him. I know you're trying to hype the future until the cows come home, but the Sens traded three all-star talents this year. Eric Carlson, Matt Duchesne, and now Mark Stone. From the start of training camp until February 25th, the trade deadline. Now, in the past, a lot of Sens fans have been grilling Eugene Melnick because he won't fork over dollars to keep all-star talents in Ottawa. The most prime example, Daniel Alfredson in the 2013 offseason where he opted to sign in Detroit. That wasn't the case with Duchesne, though. As he told the media on the day of the trade to Columbus... He said the Sens made a fair offer. Absolutely. I was. I thought that was a great starting point. And, um, again, it wasn't about the money. We That was an offer. That started the, the, the talks. And um, from there, it, was, it wasn't – we didn't even talk about money one more time. That was it because uh, I just believed that that, that part was uh, on the back burner and that would get – that would be something that we would be able to figure out. So um, I, for me, it was I was just trying to figure out what the landscape of the next, you know, potential eight years for me was going to look like, and it was it was just too many blanks at the time, and uh, um, that's kind of it. So there you go. Duchesne says it was a fair offer that the Sens gave him. He says there was uncertainty that had yet to play itself out. And while I think the futures of Stone and Dezingle had something to do with it, I also think there's a lot more to this story. Remember when he came to Ottawa, the Sens were in playoff contention. They were aiming for a playoff spot they wanted to win right now. And that's what Matt Duchesne wants to do. Play in the NHL playoffs. The Sens won't be doing that for a few years. I felt they were on the outside looking in. No matter how much money they offered him, due to the fact that a lot of other teams had the money and the winning mindset in the here and now. Not in three years. And once again, Mark Stone alluded to the commitment to winning as one of the reasons why he chose Vegas. So we're getting to a theme here. This team is not winning in the immediate future, and some of their top players weren't willing to take a chance on another contract with this organization. That begs the questions. What's wrong? Who's at fault? 
and why are they gone? That prompted Lever Sage, Graham Creech, and Steve Bunda of TSN 1200, the station that's providing me with all this audio and has granted me permission to use it, to open up the phone line starting at 7 p.m. on a nonsense game night. They said they were going to take as many calls, texts, tweets, and emails as they could, so long as they kept pouring in. They did it after Carlson got traded in September, and they were there for nine hours. The same thing happened when they opened up the phone lines after the Mark Stone trade on this night. They were there until 3 in the morning the very next morning. And during those nine hours of radio, a lot of fans had a lot to say. I was a Montreal. I grew up in Montreal. I was a Montreal Canadiens fan until I moved here. And then when the Sens came into existence, we became my husband and I very avid Sens fans. And we've owned partial season tickets like right up until this year. And to be honest, we're going to cancel them after today. I have no confidence in the ownership or management whatsoever anymore. I feel like we've become the Montreal Expos. Um, of the NHL where we're just a farm team to feed all the other teams. All these guys that they have coming up are good and well, but I don't think Eugene Melnick, when it comes time to renew their contracts, will sign them. And will they even want to stay here? That was Debbie. And her call really got me thinking about how quickly it is to gain trust and then throw it all away just as quickly. To be a part of a franchise with so much pedigree and success as a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, and to drop everything and cheer for a new team is not easy. And it's a shame that she had to make that decision. It should not have gotten to that point. This is another case of a fan that's had enough of this team. And Ottawa resident Jill was the next to call in, and guess what? He wasn't too thrilled either. This guy was all heart, all Ottawa, and uh, but you know who they don't respect the most? The season ticket holders. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, now they're going to see an NHL team for the rest of the year and next year, too. And they're still paying uh, NHL prices. It's ridiculous, the last re- lack of respect from that team. Seriously, I'm so sad. It's ridiculous. We'll get back to the season ticket holders towards the end because the Sens might be doing something good there. But at the time, there was a lot of built-up hatred, and Rick's call summarized it perfectly. The amount of times that we that our our team and our city has been embarrassed, deceived, uh, the messages changed. There is a huge toxic relationship right now with this owner. So much so that people are not buying tickets because of the owner, and then not very much other reason than that. People have tuned him out, and what really infuriates me is that. We have Pierre Dorian, who's a guy I will give him some credit for being an evaluator of talent, like many other people have. But the fact that he feels the need, like the PR department, to enable this toxic behavior from Mr. Melnick and just act as if if it's not an issue is insulting to fans like me. I've been a fan long before this team even showed up. I was there when we were trying to get the team. My name is up on the board of the first season ticket holders. I bleed Senators Red. And it infuriates me that every time the message changes, this current organization blames the fans or we don't understand. I've had enough of it. The owner doesn't get it. And I hate to say it, but until this owner either is gone or has, has 
given up all his his influence on the team to hockey people, which if you want to talk about the, what the Leafs did, first thing they did is hire good hockey people at the top all the way down. I don't trust the people we have from coach all the way up. And I'm tired of the toxicity. I'm tired of people going, oh, don't, don't be a gloomy Gus. I'm tired that we're not addressing the elephant in the room. And I'm glad there's a few people in the media today that are standing up for this and refusing to let people like Dorian enable this. We got another call talking about Pierre Dorian and the role he's played in this experiment. A call from Jamie, who goes on to explain why he doesn't have any faith in Dorian as an NHL general manager. You know, it was amazing listening to this uh, interview today. And if you you had one takeaway from it, it's just how uh, Pierre Dorian is out of touch with the fan base here in Ottawa. Uh, you know, uh, Melnick is certainly out of touch. But uh, listening to that interview, I just couldn't believe it. But there's a saying, you can't argue with people who believe their own lies. And I think that's what this franchise has become. Uh, it's really unfortunate. Like, does he think people are paying $5,000, $10,000 to go see these games to win Kachuk, to see Kachuk win a face-off against his brother? Or how good J.G. Pajot has played since he came back? 20 games, 5 points. Like, the man is completely out of touch, has a talent as a scout, but he couldn't run a bath as a GM. He was alluding to the part of Dorian's interview on TSN 1200 where Dorian talked about the Kachuk brothers facing off against one another when Calgary played Ottawa at the Canadian Tire Centre. That was the day before Mark Stone got traded. Brady Kachuk scored a goal in that game. His entire family was in attendance. They loved it. But the smaller storylines aren't what the fans are into. They want results. They want W's on the board. They want progress. In the meantime, Dorian is preaching patience to the fan base and assurance he will sign the Stars of Tomorrow when they are due for their first big boy contract. Here's what Pierre Dorian said. In this rebuild, all these players are staying. You've heard the commitments from Mr. Melnick himself. When those players get to their prime we will be spending to the cap for that amount of time no it, it different but it, it differs by players thomas shabbat is already a star you know his next contract is going to be the next contract brady kachuk will be we think uh, an impact player colin white's a very good player i personally think and our hockey group personally thinks that greg batherson is going to be a star in the nhl logan brown has been our best player in belleville in the last month and for a first year pro for nick paul Logan Brown and Drake Batherson to carry your team with Marcus Hochberg. <laughs> Let's not put, I think that's pretty special. We've gone 15 games without losing with those guys. That's pretty special for first year players to do that. And now you add an Eric Brandstrom. Those players are here for a long term. You've heard the man that signs the paycheck. He said it himself. And when I, when we've budgeted three, four, five, six years down the road, all those players are getting projected those amounts in the budget. The thing that should be pointed out here is that Eugene Melnick promised that from 2021 to 2025, he would spend to the NHL's cap. He said, quote, The Senators will be all in again for a five-year run of unparalleled success, where the team will plan to spend close to the NHL's salary cap every year from 2021 to 2025, end quote. Yeah, but what happens after 2025, Eugene? Or let's say that, The Sens aren't in the go-for-it mode until 2023. You have a two-year window, at least, where Melnick spends close to the NHL salary cap, and then what? Then what happens? 
Did you ever hear the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning say stuff like that? Oh, you know, we got a good team, but two-year window, give us what you got. After that, we'll see. This is another reason why the fans have trouble trusting Melnick and all the things he says. So Pierre Dorian was asked if there's a disconnect between the team and the fans. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I get your question, Ian. I'm not sure I see a disconnect. All I can tell you is through this rebuild, we're trying to change our culture. We're trying to change the environment. We're trying to get players to grow together. So when you talk about disconnect, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. You know what? I've had one person. Okay, I'm in the rinks all the time with my son. I go with my daughter, walk around Ottawa. Um, I go to supper with my girlfriend sometimes. Over the last 12 months, okay, I've had one person yell at me. So I don't see the disconnect. I'm sorry. Maybe people are saying stuff on Twitter or whatever. One person, a lady at Senseplex, yelled at me. So I don't see it. Now he does have a point. There is no disconnect between the team and the fans. It's between the owner and the fans. Pierre Dorian doesn't wake up to billboards that say hashtag Dorian out. He didn't get banned from the Mongolian Village, a restaurant in Ottawa. That was Eugene Melnick. The fans are tired of him. All the disconnect starts and ends with the guy handing out the checks. Pierre Dorian is the one that has to deal with all the garbage. If he trades all these star players, he gets ridiculed. If he doesn't trade them, they all probably pull a John Tavares and walk on July 1st, and the Sens get absolutely nothing in return. I feel if the players wanted to stay in Ottawa, they would have been more than willing to sign in February. And given all the crappy hands dealt to his team, Pierre Dorian got a decent haul for all his four stars. It's just the climate is so bad at the moment where the Sens cannot keep everybody. They were not winning games. There were off-ice distractions. I don't blame any of the four players that left this year. Why would they want to play for this hockey team when you don't know what the climate is going to be like in three to five years? Why would you sign long-term with a team with so much uncertainty if there are 30 other teams with a better chance of winning than you do? And I'm not talking this year alone. I'm talking next year and maybe the year after that as well. Heck, while we're at it, let's think bigger picture here. Let's say that Melnick is still in charge in three, four, five years down the line. Let's say the Sens are ready to win. Provided the Stars live up to the hype and are worthy of the big money they're asking for, how many of them will want to stay in Ottawa if it's more of the same thing? How many free agents will want to play in Ottawa given this season's events? How many players will remember what this hockey market went through in 2018-2019 and say, I'm not ready to be part of this experiment? You don't know. That's why reputation really, really matters. You could offer a guy $10.5 million per year for five years, and he could take less money to sign elsewhere if he doesn't like what he sees. And it goes the same way with the fans, too. They don't have to cheer for this team. Just like every single player does not have to play for this team. If the Sens are back to the same spot where the owner does not spend to the cap in seven years from now, that doesn't create stability at all. All that does is create more uncertainty. It does not matter how many future draft picks or grade A prospects you have in your system. 
And that is why fans are worried. That's why they're ticked off. Now, speaking of uncertainty, there's been a lot of chatter as to where their future home will be in Ottawa. Their current facility, the Canadian Tire Centre, has been around since the mid-1990s. It's over 20 years old. It's not getting any younger. The repairs will continue to pile on as it gets older. But the bigger issue is how convenient it is for Sens fans to watch their team play right now. Canada and Stittsville residents have it pretty good because it's in the suburbs of Canada. For the good people of Orleans, Rockland, and the downtown core, they have to go on the Queensway and brace the long lineup or take a bus. Either way, it still takes pretty long. Then they have to pay and park if they take a car there. They have to get through security, then find their seat. Why not just go to a pub and watch the game? Or why not just order in food and watch the game at home? If you put the home of the Ottawa Senators in a more centralized location, such as LeBreton Flats, then you have access to light rail transit. It's more centralized. It's more of a central spot compared to Canada. You do not have to worry about a parking spot if you take light rail transit to the game. The building would reportedly be smaller than the Canadian Tire Centre, which houses more seats than the home of the Winnipeg Jets and sits 14th in seating capacity. But as I said before, the Canadian Tire Centre is 30 minutes away from downtown Ottawa, while the Breton Flats is empty space that is only used for a big music festival that happens two weeks every summer. That's it. People in Ottawa have wanted to see that land develop for years. And the National Capital Commission is ready to buy in. So they open the floor to bids from several parties. Eugene Melnick partners up with Trinity Developments to form Rendezvous Le Breton. That group wins the bid to negotiate. And everyone is happy. It's an extraordinary opportunity for the Ottawa Senators. And then, over time, this major project took hit after hit after hit. The biggest blow... November 24th, 2018. That's the day Eugene Melnick sues John Ruddy, the man behind the Trinity development portion of Rendezvous Le Breton. Quoting the Ottawa Citizen here. The acrimony between Melnick and Ruddy has allegedly been going on for more than two years, and the relationship, quote-unquote, soured right after Rendezvous was named the highest-ranked candidate to take on the development in April 2016, the lawsuit says. It was the NCC, according to the lawsuit that approached Melnick's company about its interest in redeveloping LeBreton Flats, leading to Melnick partnering with Ruddy and submitting a proposal in an NCC-led competition. Melnick, whose businesses run the Canadian Tire Centre and have built Sensplexes, needed a partner with residential and commercial development experience for the LeBreton bid. Melnick learned about Ruddy's development plans for 900 Albert, a triangular piece of land beside the city centre complex once eyed by DCR Phoenix for a chunky office complex, but then sold to Trinity, which plotted a major transit-orientated development and attracted other investors. Here are the lawsuit's key points. Melnick, who was interested in rolling in the 900 Albert project with the LeBreton one, wanted to know why Ruddy didn't include him in the Albert investment. Last January, Melnick's company was reconsidering its involvement in the LeBreton deal, solely because of the impact of 900 Albert. The suit says the NCC turned a blind eye and pressured Melnick's company to sign the term sheet, and the NCC announced an agreement in principle with Rendezvous on the redevelopment of Le Breton. All that despite Melnick's concerns over the economic viability of the project in light of 900 Albert.
It claims Trinity submitted the municipal land use applications on behalf of Rendezvous without notifying Eugene Melnick's company. So, from a legal standpoint, the lawsuit accuses Trinity of breaking a fiduciary duty allegedly owed to Melnick's company and not working in good faith. That's from the Ottawa Citizen article on November 24, 2018. So, in short, Eugene Melnick says they did not work in good faith with him. And then comes December 18, 2018, when John Ruddy of Trinity Developments countersued Melnick's group. For those of you wondering, Mr. Melnick's lawsuit was $700 million. John Ruddy's lawsuit against Eugene Melnick? $1 billion. That's a billion with a big old B. Once again, I'm citing my info from the Ottawa Citizen. Written December 18th, 2018. Eugene Melnick is ready to let business partner John Ruddy build the entire LeBreton Flats project and pocket all of the revenue so long as Melnick's Ottawa Senators can run the arena. The offer emerged during a back and forth between the two warring Rendezvous LeBreton Partners Tuesday, the same day Ruddy was filing a $1 billion counterclaim against Melnick. In a written statement, CSMI, that's Melnick's group, proposed to assign its interest to Trinity for the residential, retail, commercial, and recreational elements of the LeBreton Flats plan. Trinity would collect all the revenue. In exchange, Trinity would finance the $500 million rink instead of Melnick's group. Any profits from the massive redevelopment of LeBreton Flats would be Trinity's alone under the CSMI pitch. CSMI proposes to pay for the operating and life cycle costs of the arena during the lease term. Trinity swiftly criticized CSMI's idea and said, quote, Our court filings today made clear that Mr. Melnick and CSMI have been demanding a free arena courtesy of local taxpayers and Trinity. His letter does little more than confirm that. On its surface, it appears zero has changed, end quote. To make a long story short, the two sides go to mediation to try and sort out the differences that they have. They get more time from the NCC to do so, and Judgment Day arrives in the final week of February, mere days after the Mark Stone trade to Vegas. We then get word that nothing came out of those mediations to save the bid, which eventually gets nuked by the NCC. And just last week, NCC announced a new process to develop LeBreton Flats, where everyone starts from scratch and every option is on the table. A glorious opportunity to find the Sens a new home is shut out. Now, Melnick has assured fans that they will find a new place for the team within Ottawa, and he's optimistic they will get something done. But as far as locations go, this was perfect. This was handed to the Ottawa Senators on a silver platter. And Melnick's reputation takes another hit with this swing-and-miss business partnership. To make matters worse for him, he's a fixture in two lawsuits. His lawsuit against John Ruddy and John Ruddy's lawsuit against him. So if you're a Melnick, you probably lost money on this deal on top of losing a brand new arena. Furthermore, if what Trinity Development said in their countersuit is true, the debate of how rich Eugene Melnick is won't be going away. How much money does he want to spend on this hockey team? And more importantly, does he have the cash to get it done? That is the issue. But hey, the Sens have some normalcy. Guy Boucher is still their head coach. At least there's that, right? All I will tell you is that 
pretty much made up my mind last night. I wanted to sleep on it. I advised Eugene this morning. I phoned Mark afterwards. Uh, and when Guy came in, I let him know uh, that he was not going to be our coach anymore. Um, after that, met with the players before practice. I told them that our play recently wasn't acceptable. And that moving forward, that uh, didn't want any more excuses. Okay, disregard that. They turf Guy Boucher as well. So why fire the coach with five weeks left in a campaign where the rebuilding sense were going to finish last, even if they kept everybody? I think in this rebuild, playing the kids is crucial. The development of our young players is essential for this team to have success moving forward. Now, I'm not saying that firing Guy Boucher was a bad decision. When they got him, Ottawa was ready to win. He was tasked to take that group to the next level. They had the pieces to win and make some noise right away. And in his first season, the Sens were one goal away from reaching the Stanley Cup Finals. Guy Boucher is a good coach. And from what I hear, he's a great guy, a great person, with a big heart. But I wasn't sure if he was the right guy to lead this rebuild, and I thought this move was going to happen during the offseason when there was nothing left to play for. If you were playing the young guys and they're not thriving under the coaching system and that impacts their ability to have success with Belleville in the AHL playoffs, assuming they make it this year, and in the seasons ahead, maybe I'm more accepting to this decision. But at the same time, I don't know for sure how much of a voice he had in that locker room and if any of the players were muting him. I also give a shout out of the doubt to Guy Boucher, who is dealing with a super young team and only has four of 20 players that dressed in that semifinal finale against Pittsburgh two years ago. Like, what in the world does Pierre Dorian expect out of this group? Does he expect them to win hockey games? We're fielding a team from now to the end of the year that can win games. And we want to see this team win games, develop, grow, have a great culture, uh, play for one in each other, play for the coaching staff, more importantly, play for our fans. I understand that winning games is important, but this team isn't built to win. They can make games close, and they can hang with teams, with both Guy Boucher and Mark Crawford, but they don't have that finish. Interim head coach Mark Crawford, who might be in the running at the end of the season for the head coaching job, is confident that this group of young players is going to take this organization to bigger heights someday. We really do have a great group of players here. Um, Yeah, we're not showing it in the standings. But they're a group that care for one another. They're a group that emotionally is as good as any Stanley Cup team uh, that I've been around. Uh, And the measure of the personalities in that room is extraordinary. These are young guys, really young. And they are in a situation that is very, very difficult. But again, it all goes back to the timing. When Mark Stone was traded to Vegas, Pierre Dorian was asked if Guy Boucher would still be coaching the team right now. And he replied by saying, Guy Boucher is our coach, and we're going to support him. Three days later, Guy Boucher is shown the door. About a week later, Sen CEO Nick Ruskowski told TSN 1200 they wanted all the bad news out at once. I think it's safe to say that in terms of the news over which we have absolute control, uh, you are going to be seeing a trend towards positive news moving forward. It's not by accident that we picked one very compressed week to deal with everything. It's because we didn't want to linger on those negatives. We are focused now on the positive aspects of rebuild, which is starting with a roster that is as young, as fresh, 
as new and as bunch of a just, you know, just prospects sort of loaded as we had when we had Spezza, Phillips, Alfie, and others coming into the league. There was a time when they were just as young, just as unknown as what we've got coming in. So I think that you're going to see a trend that is not dissimilar to the one that we lived through when those guys were coming up. If Pierre Dorian knew about this plan on Monday, February 25th, which I don't know if he did because I'm not in the same room as him, why did he say Guy Boucher was the coach of the Ottawa Senators when he did? I get that things change, but it's another strike against an organization that hockey fans in Ottawa have trust issues with. Somebody's saying one thing one day, and then someone says something completely different a few days later. Why the heck should Ottawa hockey fans trust Sens management in what they say? Why should they trust them to re-sign all these young players in five to seven years when the timeline to fire a coach goes from five weeks to three days? I'm not against the move, but again, the timing of it all just doesn't make sense. Now, Mark Crawford is not expected to turn water into wine here. The roster that was there when Guy Boucher was fired hasn't changed much. They might have over 200 goals scored, slightly less than the mighty Boston Bruins, which if you look at the Boston Bruins, they're kind of a top 10 team in the league right now. They have one of the worst goals against averages, though. Possibly the worst in the entire league. They give up close to or slightly over 36 shots per game, the most in the NHL. They still have a bottom 10 penalty kill. They're near the bottom 10 when it comes to generating shots on goal, largely because they're caught defending and they don't have the experienced offensive talent to really sustain any type of pressure. I get that you're craving not to be in that continuous rut of losing every year. And telling players that no more excuses will be accepted might slowly break away any bad habits they might develop. But if I'm Pierre Dorian, I should not be expecting the Sens to quote-unquote have a compete level that's unmatched. It won't happen this year with the team that they have. That much I will tell you. It's about starting the message now and continuing that message into next year and beyond with all the young players that they will be developing. Including college recruit and Ottawa native Max Verano who they signed to a two-year entry-level deal on March 12th. Now the question becomes, who will be that voice to lead them in the right direction? Crawford, as I said, could be a candidate for the next head coaching gig, but Dorian said to the season ticket holders via press release that he wants the following from the next head coach of the Ottawa Senators. Quote, A teacher who will focus on the development and growth of each player on the team a listener who encourages feedback from players and the coaching staff, a communicator who lets every team member know where they stand and what to expect, a tactician who brings structure and game planning that will enhance our rebuilding effort. Those are the four main points for Pierre Dorian's next head coach. So if you think that person's you, submit your application. The good news is that Ottawa leads the NHL in block shots right now, and that is one team stat I consider to be a positive moving forward. Would Mark Crawford be a guy that puts the right message forward? Probably. Possibly. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if they moved towards a younger voice with a newer approach. The Rangers have done it with David Quinn. The Stars have done it with Jim Montgomery. The Flyers did it before with the hire of Dave Haxtall. In Boston, the Bruins brought in their AHL coach Bruce Cassidy after Claude Julien was fired. He gets them to the playoffs, was named the Bruins' bench boss after the year was done, and they've been doing damage in the Eastern Conference ever since. 
The Belleville Senators continue to make progress as the AHL's regular season winds down to the point where they could be in the playoff picture in mid-April. Troy Mann is their head coach. He's coached Drake Batherson. He's coached Logan Brown. He's coached Marcus Hogberg and Philip Gustafson, the two goalies projected to lead the youth movement in Ottawa between the pipes. He knows a fair amount of talent in Belleville that will soon be tasked to bring the Sens back to prominence. It was the same thing with Bruce Cassidy before the Boston Bruins tabbed him as the new guy in Boston. He coached a lot of Boston's young talent in the minor leagues, and he got good results with them. This is an avenue that I could see the Sens taking, but it all depends on the other job candidates out there. It all depends on what Pierre Dorian sees in each candidate and if he thinks they can coach the Ottawa Senators the right way. Pierre Dorian's job is to hype the future. That's all he can do. That's what Melnick is paying him to do. And in that letter to season ticket holders, he preached everyone to keep thinking about tomorrow. He said, quote, We still intend to rely on veterans for our leadership. I'm absolutely confident that we can lean on Jean-Gabriel Pajot, Mark Borowiecki, Zach Smith, Cody Ceci, Bobby Ryan, Craig Anderson, Chris Tierney, and Dylan DeMello to show our youth movement along the way. They have character, work ethic, and leadership worthy of our youngest players' attention. Three of them, Pajot, Borowiecki, and Ceci, are hometown guys who will help instill a passion for and a commitment to the community we love. In addition to having up to 17 draft picks in the first three rounds of the next three seasons, we now have an NHL club and development program absolutely brimming with promise. As hard as it can be to say goodbye to our favorite players, I can't deny how excited I am about our future. This rebuild will include veteran leaders, draft picks, depth players, and eventual superstars, not just prospects. They will be pivotal in our pursuit for sustained excellence. I look forward to seeing you all at Canadian Tire Center. That's from Pierre Dorian. Now, he mentions all the veterans still on the team, but people can't help but think about who will be a part of the future after next year, the 2019-2020 season. Because there are only four players that are under contract after next year. Those players being Bobby Ryan, Zach Smith, Brady Kachuk, and Marion Gabrick, if he's even healthy enough to play. Of course, Thomas Shabbat and Colin White will hopefully be re-signed within that time frame, so the more optimistic scenario is that they'll have six guys. They have nine players over the next two years eligible for free agency, including both Anders Nielsen and Craig Anderson in goal, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and Mark Borowiecki. They will have ten guys between now and July of 2020 that will need a new contract but will still be under club control. Those would be restricted free agents. So there are still a lot of questions for fans to ponder. That is, if those fans still want to go to the Canadian Tire Center and watch the Sens play. You see, Ottawa has other sports teams to cheer for, besides the Ottawa Senators. In fact, the OHL's Ottawa 67s are having a season for the ages right now and are prime candidates to make a charge for the Memorial Cup if they make it that far. In the CFL, the Canadian Football League, you have the Ottawa Red Blacks. They've been in existence for about five years now. And they've developed a fan base that's been starving for a good football team forever. And in their first four seasons at a refurbished TD place, they've been to the Grey Cup three times. Three times in four seasons. 
Before that, this is a football team that would just be happy to have a playoff team. There are other ways to spend extra money in this town, and there are other sports teams in Ottawa that are probably worth the attention more than the Ottawa Senators right now. So with that being said, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman was asked at the GM meetings if the Senators would ever be on the move to a different market. Are you worried that maybe the moving trucks could be coming any day soon? No. No. Why is that? Because there's no reason to be. No reason to be worried. That's good to hear from the NHL commissioner, because if Melnick is tempted to move the Sens in the near future, Gary Bettman is one of those guys that may have a big voice as to whether or not this team stays or leaves. The NHL has to approve any relocations. And when he was asked about the Ottawa situation, he calls the tough times a rough patch. And he's confident in the long run, things are going to be all right. Teams go through ebbs and flows, both on the ice and with their fan bases. And uh, Eugene Melnick is doing what is expected of him as an owner in terms of meeting the team's obligations. And management, ownership for any franchise at any given point in time may think it's time for a rebuild. And that's what has to be done. So then he was asked if he still has confidence in Eugene Melnick to lead the Sens to glory, to which he said this. Major projects, the ebb and flow of team performance is something that will change over time. Uh, I know Eugene Melnick is very committed to the Senators and is very focused on looking for what he has to do and what his best options are under the circumstances. Okay, so it sounds like he hasn't given up on Melnick, which, if you're a Sens fan that wants a change in ownership and wants Eugene Melnick gone, is far from the news you wanted to hear. The good news for season ticket holders is that it sounds like the Sens are doing whatever they can to keep them on board as the team continues to sink further and further into the abyss. Their genius idea? The seventh. You know, think of it like the 12th man in Seattle, where the Seahawks play. The fans are that extra guy on the ice you don't see. They have an impact on the game. They give you that extra lift of momentum when you need it and to help you get over the top when you're on the verge of doing something special. Ottawa risks losing that if they don't give the fans something to look forward to when they come to a game. They already invented Club Bell, which I've already been to. It's an all-you-can-eat experience that I've never seen before, but that's not for the average fan. That's a first-class ticket. You need to get the average fan involved. The 7th Season Seat Members Club is for any fan that's got a season ticket package or a flex plan package. You get 20% off concession items and merchandise and access to exclusive events with players and SENS alumni. Here to explain a few other perks to being a member of this club is SENS Chief Marketing Officer Amy Deisel. It's got a lot of flexibility built in, and we are hearing from consumers that they want more, and, and fans that they want more flexibility, right? They want some family games. They want some games where they can bring colleagues and, and business associates. So they, they do want that flexibility. That's her talking about the flex plan package, and this is her talking about other price deductions. The other piece that I really wanted to underline was the fact that what you're going to see for our season seat members this year is 85% of our of our season seat members will see either a pricing freeze or a pricing reduction this year. So that is another big component of this new program is that we've taken a look at the value proposition and um, you know we've recognized that it needed to be adjusted in some cases and, and we've done that. And the last time that was done in our franchise was 2012. Well, it's about freaking time that ticket prices went down or at least won't go up again for a while. 
You cannot expect to win fans over by hiking the heck out of ticket prices when the team is not doing well. And like she said, the last time this was done was when Daniel Alfredson was still the captain of the Ottawa Senators. That's seven years ago. I was a college student seven years ago. And as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, OHL prices are a lot more affordable than NHL prices for Sens tickets. During the regular season, the 67s had special promos like Friday Night Live, I Heart Hockey Saturdays, and Sunday Funday. The price per ticket for adults was 33 bucks in the best seats in the building. That was the highest ticket price. Right now, if you become a Season Seats member for the 67s, you can get your first round playoff tickets for this year absolutely free. Who doesn't like free tickets? They also have a concession promo or two, such as bottomless popcorn. So all in all, it's affordable. You get to have a good time. Your on-ice product is great. That's what I hope the Sens can become. My overall worry is that for a lot of people, it's going to be too little, too late. And my fear is that the trust that the fans have in this organization is, like attendance, spiraling around like water in a toilet bowl when you flush it. It's in a spiral, and we're all just waiting for all the water to flush downwards. And nobody wants to see that. No sense fan in Ottawa deserves that. Because a lot of people still care about the Ottawa Senators. If nobody cared, you wouldn't hear anyone complaining about the owner. If nobody cared, the arena would be empty by now. But if the Sense fans turn a blind eye to this, will the owner pay attention to what they're saying? That's why, in some weird way, losing a few fans from all this madness is maybe that kick in the butt this organization needs to wake up. They need to win fans back. The seventh is a starting point. More town halls should be issued, and they should venture outside the Canadian Tire Center. They should hold town halls in Canada, Stittsville, Nepean, Orleans, Rockland, downtown Ottawa, etc., etc. And to Nick Rosowski's credit, he told News Talk 580 CFRA they've held a few town halls already. Amy and I have been here roughly seven and a half months, eight months in my case. Um, and we are just getting uh, our heads around a very significant listening and learning exercise that we conducted over the beginning of the season. We've done two surveys. We've done four focus groups. We've done over 12 uh, miniature town halls with our season seat members. And we're now at a sense at a state where we know exactly what um, the important feedback that we're getting from our, our fans is. And if I had to summarize it in two words, I would say, number one, be more proactive and transparent about telling us about the rebuild. Uh, but the other is, look, stop taking us for granted. It's been too long that you've not appreciated the work that we do. They should have more discounts. They should stay engaged with the fan base, even if the fan base is upset with them. Eugene Melnick needs to be in those discussions like he was last year, just to give it a slight aura that he cares If he doesn't show up, I fear that people will think less highly of him, even less so than they do right now. The fans feel like they've been wronged here. Ottawa's attendance figures have slowly decreased since the 2012-2013 season, and it's not getting any better after this season. They need to keep fans interested while this team learns how to win again. And in the end... I hope that this franchise is able to overcome this. 
because the city of Ottawa is better with the Senators team in the picture, and they are better when the Sens are thriving. I hope they can thrive again. I hope that the wait is going to be worth it for all the Sens fans witnessing a Stanley Cup parade someday. Those are the fans that deserve it the most. But for now, we have to pray and hope. Hope for the young guys like Brady Kachuk to continue to evolve and show good leadership. Hope that, unlike the Oilers of the early 2010s, the reliance on youth doesn't hurt the team. Hope that the ownership is going to back up what they say when they'll sign the future stars. And hope that the young guys of tomorrow see the value in Ottawa and choose to remain there. And maybe, as tough as it is, have a little patience. Anyways, that's all the time we have. My sincere thanks to you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the special edition of the Lace Em Up podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at LaceEMPodcast for more hockey-related news as the week rolls along. We are also on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. My deepest thanks once again to TSN 1200 and News Talk 580 CFRA in Ottawa for the audio and for keeping all the sports fans in Ottawa up to date on everything Ottawa Senators. And for all you non-Senators fans out there, I hope you never, ever have to experience this kind of rock bottom. Because it sucks to be a Sens fan right now. And I wouldn't wish this kind of pain upon any other fan. It's just not fun. And I hope for this organization, there are brighter days ahead. I'm Steve Ellsworth. Talk again soon.